Hello and welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, where today we'll be discussing part three of ancient usage and custom. Ladies and gentlemen, brethren all, welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, a casual conversation around Freemasonry. First, it's important to note that our thoughts and opinions are our own and do not reflect those of our Grand Lodge or respective craft or concordant bodies. Please connect with us and ask questions via our website at theworkingtoolspodcast.com. Welcome back to the show. I'm David Colbeth, a past master with King Solomon Lodge number 60 in Auburn, Washington. And I'm joined again tonight by our regular hosts, Worship Brother Jared Dunham of Penticton Lodge number 147 in British Columbia, and our original host, Worship Brother Steve Chung of Prince Charles Lodge number 153 in Kelowna, British Columbia. As I said in the opener tonight, we're discussing part three of Ancient Usage and Custom from the Short Talk Bulletin, Volume 32, Number 4, written by most worship brother Carl H. Claudy in April 1954. There'll be a link to that article and to an audio book of that article uh, on the shorttalkbulletin.com in our show notes. I'd really encourage you to go and read the article or listen to it at least so that you can come back and kind of debate and discuss with us virtually. You can post comments to our YouTube channel or on our Facebook page, and we welcome your support. Well, good evening, guys. Welcome back again. We're about halfway down our list, (laughs) already part three. Uh, And and we were discussing kind of in the blue room before this that we thought we had had no idea. We thought this was not, I thought it was going to be a one segment show, the whole thing. And right. As you know, you get three good masons together, and we can't shut it up. We can't be quiet. Well, you know, you want to put up topics of debate that are eternal debates in our in our craft. Well, yeah, I'm sure stuff. I'm sure there's going to be you know various sides to be represented, right? You know, but it, the next topic uh, of uh, uh, having ourselves uh, dressed accordingly in public versus uh, only at cornerstone layings and um funerals and a divine worship um it's um it's interesting that uh, you know we're not supposed to you know join political processions or patriotic observances and things like that um and it's always wondered why uh when we go to do the remembrance day ceremonies why we never marched with the uh uh the groups of different the different organizations right and um but we were all standing around in the in the area uh wearing our aprons um under our jackets right interesting Un- under your jacket yep yeah we were we we were allowed to wear our, our aprons in public under our jackets why? Hmm? What? It's the way that we wear them for funerals. Yeah. That's, oh, that's the that's really. We were at, at a at a at a public funeral. We wear our apron. We wear our jackets closed over our aprons. Really? Yes. Which leads to another custom, is that <laughs> well, no, because there's a debate when in lodge, do you wear your apron under or over your jacket? Right. So our constitution it, defines that. Yeah, well, ours, 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 both. 
Yeah, yeah, our our constitution allows for both, but our uh, it's in Prince Charles Lodge. It's customary to wear your apron outside over your jacket, right? That way, it can be seen for uh, identification of your rank and title, right? Um, Which shouldn't matter in lodge. But in lodge is the only time you're expected to give that uh, rank and title when you uh, introduce right worshipful brother or very worshipful brother or worshipful brother or just brother, right? You need to get that right. And if you don't, you can't see their apron, you can't tell their title. That's what the name tag is for, I was told. (laughs) Well, you know, the name tag so that you get the pronunciation proper. Right. Yeah, I know. At a, at well, few, at, he, nobody can pronounce my name even with my name tag. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you think yours is bad? Colbeth is 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 like two syllables. Try Osterhold, right? Uh, we have our district deputy grandmaster, Karsten Osterhold, and rarely do they get the spelling correct, let alone the pronunciation. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, so interesting that so. you you can choose whether to have it under or over your coat. Yeah. Well. Now, again, there's exceptions to these rules, like when you can't do your coat up, right? You know, you, you don't have to. Or um, you're a gentleman like me that wears a three-piece suit to lodge, and I, I don't wear my suit coat done up over a vest. You don't, sorry, you don't wear your suit coat done up over if I'm a wearing, vest. I wear, I, I wear a three-piece suit to lodge. Yep. So I wear my apron, but I don't do my, you don't, Button the you don't button your jacket. Don't button your your suit jacket over top of your waistcoat. So it's open, but it's not like you're not you know flashing like you're in the street corner or anything. It's no. just it's just kind of open, gapped a couple of inches. Well, no, it's because I, but I I wear my apron over. I put my jacket over. I put my apron on and then I put my jacket on. Yeah, but your suit coat when it's hanging is only open. You know. It's open, inches. but it's still t- it's still over top of my apron. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm just yeah. it's interesting that you can do that. Yeah. In our constitution, the only time you can have your suit coat or the coat over the apron is if you're wearing a morning coat. And right. I believe it's only allowed because the morning coat really goes to your waist. And so your apron would is in full view. Right. Except that technically you're not supposed to wear a no morning coat buttoned over top of your waistcoat. But we're not going into fashion here. No, no, and it, it may not, it's not yeah. It's no, not, you're but, right. It is cut, it is cut swoop higher up than a normal than a normal suit jacket. Interesting. Yeah. I have never, that's interesting. I have never, we always wear our, and now we always wear a white apron to a funeral, not any kind of regaled apron. They're always white aprons to a funeral, but they are always on the outside. Right. I mean, we are our, our standard. Now I think it's, it's our, that's codified for us that the aprons worn on the outside of the suit jacket. Right. So we, since we talked about funerals, I, I didn't know that Masonic funerals were an innovation. I guess, they, I guess they'd probably have to be. An innovation like that they originally didn't do them. I don't know. Like, how do you mean by innovation? Well, yeah, I mean, innovation could be a hundred, you know, three hundred years innovation, but because Steve's trying to show something, but it's not coming through. Put it in front of your face. Masonic funeral service. (laughs) What is that? It's the Masonic funeral service. Oh yeah, I'm learning. I'm learning the parts now that we're going to actually have one. But I didn't. They implied in the article that uh, some the like the last five or six things are kind of innovations, mm. and Masonic funerals was included in that, like an innovation. Things that are kind of new to masonry. Yes. 
And right. I, I didn't, wouldn't have thought that Masonic funerals, I guess, but I guess the right, I think actually it says in the article, the right to a Masonic funeral. Maybe. I probably should read it again. <laughs> the right to it. Well. But anyway. No, it just says Masonic funerals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they must have, and I, don't, I didn't research, you know, I'll, I'll admit. Here we are again. I didn't research enough to know whether it was uh, something there's, you know, 25 of them or 23 of them here that we were going to talk about. And I didn't research all of them right. to know whether Masonic funerals were. This is well, when my, we need to my, my, my poor wife, she's going to have to go through the full Masonic service. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So appearing in, in appearing in public clothes as a Mason, you know, we do that in our. It's interesting. I think it does say you can go to church. You can do uh, some parades and things like that but I have to of course you have to get permission from the grandmaster in our mm -hmm. case uh, but uh, in the article it talked about not being the flag and I thought that was interesting it was an interesting explanation of how to not be a person hey uh, we want you to be in our thing but our you know our procession or whatever but we want you to kind of be at the end so we're just kind of tagging along with this other the other procession is the important thing but we're just kind of tagging along and so it was the flag where uh, you know, if we, if we were, if it was a Masonic march or a Masonic pre presentation or, you know, going to a church or going to an event, we are presented as us and not part of a group. So, for example, we march in our Veterans Day parade as a group. And so that's probably would be considered as a flag as part of the, the, the it isn't about us. We're not presenting ourselves specifically. We're part of a group. Now, our veterans and military guys would say that we're all, in, all important and all equal. Right. And when you march in those veterans parades, are you in wearing regalia of any kind? Yeah. I see that doesn't happen up here. So we used, we don't have the relationship we should, but as a Solomon union, Solomon lodge number nine, I think it is. And mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. And we had a sister lodge relationship with them and every year they have a parade up there and we used to go to that. And so, the guy that followed me when I was master, he said, let's revive that. And so a few of us got in his car, we drove up, and we were in a parade in all of our regalia, all the Canadian Masons and us, and marched through this parade in wherever it was. I don't, I don't remember the city now, <laughs> but it was in BC. They must have gotten, you have, to get you have to get a special dispensation from Grand Lodge to do that. Oh, probably. I'm sure they did. Yeah. I would think they did. But it was something um, they do every year. It's every year thing. Hmm. <laughs> Um, that's down on the lower mainland. Yeah, that's far away from us. <laughs> <Not lower mainland. laughs> and we, I, we we wouldn't know about the goings on down there. I've always felt well. I've been of two minds. Like to begin with, I don't like the idea of us being in parades to begin with, because I don't want like I don't think it's a very good way of promoting Freemasonry myself. But my other thing is that watch it, seeing Freemasons proceeding, processing in a parade in full regalia reminds me too much of the Orangeman parades in Ireland. And uh -huh. it gives me an uncomfortable feeling <laughs> because now, of what I know the orange parades mean in Ireland. What, what I would be dis am disappointed about is when there's two guys or three guys and that's it. Right. You know, it's like, is this really the whole representation of Masonry in this area? <laughs> So if you don't have 15 or 20 guys 
or a group of people, it's probably not something you should maybe consider doing. Right. One thing, my, when my brother, he came to a parade, one, it was a Veterans Day parade, and there was probably 10 or 15 of us in the parade. Uh, and then all we had our youth groups. So there was probably all together, it was probably 30 or 40 of us, but there was like 10 or 15 Masons. And some of us were in suits and some of us weren't. And he said, why aren't you all in your work attire? I said, well, that'd be kind of weird. He said, we're, we wear your suits. That is kind of our uniform. And he goes, but I want to know who is the policeman. I want to know who's the fireman. I want to know who's the doctor. I want to know who's the remat. I was remat. I want to know, you know, wear my remat shirt. And I thought, oh, interesting idea. Why does it matter? Well, it's for the, for the community, for the non-Masons, the citizens to recognize that they, people come from all walks of life and all different areas of business and things. Mm. Was, it was an, I'm not, I don't, I don't have any hard uh, agreement or disagreement with that. It just was an interesting idea. Made me pause and think. And isn't that what this show is about, right? <laughs> Too mm. much pausing. Next one, <laughs> Masonic Home for the Aged. We were talking about the Blue Room that you guys don't have it. No. No. Never anything like it? No, when they age, we just take them out back with a shovel and a shotgun. <laughs> Send them to the glue factory. And we, we, we didn't have a home, and then we did. There was one stood up for 100 years, and then just like a few years ago, it finally sold. They finally sold the property and everything. We well, did. I got, have- I, I got an email. We have a Masonic Cemetery Association. Yeah. We have several right. Masonic cemeteries. Yeah. There's a Masonic but, cemetery in Headley. But this was, uh, they, it was full on care and everything. And then what happened was the Medicare came in. It got way too expensive to take care of them. And so they had to open it to the public. And then it became too much to manage. And we're not a hospital or a hospice system. And it wasn't unfortunately wasn't taken care of. And so then eventually they moved them out. All those that were there, they continued to support them, pay for all their care and do all that stuff. And we had, we helped them all through. And I think they've all passed now. There might be still a couple of two, maybe two or three people out there that are still fully taken care of under the Masonic Home Program, but we don't have. There are states though. I know Minnesota has a huge, huge campus. I think California has a huge, huge campus Mm of a Masonic Home system. Uh, Moon Lodges. I love meet. that idea. Yeah. I would well, so I would love to belong to a lodge that met the first when the ne- the day after the next full moon. 13 times a year, not on the same day ever. Oh, so cool. Yeah. We we have I think I know of at least one. I think there's two or three in our state that are moon lodges and so they meet either on the full moon or the day before, or the day after depending on convenience. It can't be Sunday, of course, and so whatever that day is. And I think they meet they- like the like the third, like the the Sunday, the Saturday, or Friday, so the Friday, on or before the full moon is basically what they. Right. And so why? Well, well, originally it was because you needed the full moon to see, so you could travel to the lodge, wasn't it? Well, was that? But it was also it was, it's a great way to tell time in that you never you know once again in our modern times we are very much into like okay here's okay. In the 18th century, not everyone was on the same calendar to begin with. Well, well, you, could, you think they had moon lodges that far back? Yes. Okay. I think it's, I think, I don't think it's a modern innovation. Okay. Okay. No, I, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, if you think about it, like the, the, it's, a, it's, it's one of the only things that's a regular cycle. And if you're like in, in, if you don't have access to a calendar, because not everyone did or your calendar doesn't necessarily match the same as, you know, the country across the, across the channel or something. I'm trying to remember at one point, France and England had, were off by 12 days. Oh, 
Like you could, when, because it was the, in, when the introduction of the Gregorian calendar, because France was Catholic, English was, England was Anglican. And they actually, when, when the Gregorian calendar was introduced, England did not adopt it. So you could time travel. You could go, I, I, forget, I think it's, <laughs> you, you went from England to France, you went 12 days into the future. And from France to England, you went 12 days into the past. Cool. So moon, so a moon lodge that if you said, we'll meet, you know, the day after the full moon, you, you know, everyone could look up, oh, there's the full moon. Got to go to lodge tomorrow night. Gotcha. We were always kind of related or told it was so that they had more light to be able to make their travels. That's possible. Because it, right? it could take a whole day for somebody to get there. Yeah, it, it would it would make total sense, right? And when they let when they met in the on the hill or the dale, they had a light. They had more light to work by, right? And to see people, cowans and eavesdroppers. I would yep. I would love for a lodge to decide to become a moon lodge up here. So let me let me throw in a twist that you don't have to create a moon lodge, but you still have the experience. I was just talking to our officers about how it would be so fun to do a midnight degree, and we already have. A, a, a night degree that we do here at some other lodges do that. So I don't want to copy that idea, but I said, you know what? We don't really celebrate every year, the constitution or consecration of our lodge. Wouldn't it be cool to have a consecration event in the evening on or around the full moon in the, in the, in the fall, the September timeframe, when our lodge was stood up, we'll have a consecration night into midnight. You know, it'll start maybe at eight o'clock or nine o'clock. We'll have a little maybe festive board or something. We'll kind of enjoy our time together and then maybe have some kind of ceremony, maybe a reconstitution or a consecration that will happen at midnight on that day, like on a Friday night or a Saturday right. night. That'd be a good idea. <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs> so you can still kind of celebrate the idea of that moon lodge idea. You don't have to change your lodge bylaws and all that kind of stuff. You don't have to worry about doing, trying to do a degree, you know, having a guy lined up to do a degree and all that kind of stuff, but you can still have a celebration. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Hey. Meeting place. We used to meet in taverns and inns and out in the field and in high the hill and low dale. And so then we the idea of built buildings. Shelter. Yeah. Mm. Probably not something we wanted a whole lot of debate about, but it's interesting how things have changed to somewhat, some degree. A lot of, a lot of individually, I'm the real estate committee in our grand jurisdiction, and so it's a little bit frustrating for us to have to deal with lodges that have these buildings that are purpose built, single story, no other function, and they can't support them. And the lodges aren't charging enough dues to support the building, and so they're going away. Mm -hmm. But as if by magic, many of those lodges that have a dual, a two story, have some kind of retail or some kind of income development they are magically being able to support so our mantra is no more single purpose buildings oh, and totally i'm going to call out a lot there was a lodge that had sold their building and they just bought another single purpose building i want what are you doing <laughs> anyway yeah, that's the that's the downfall of so many lodges having because you have a building especially if you don't have any of the appendant bodies meeting in it as well so it's basically a building that gets used at best yeah. one night a month. Yeah. It's so crazy. Yeah. And it, and it's not even in a public area that they could use it for rentals. And I mean, it's no. not, it's in this, in the woods, kind of back in the woods, it's an old office building. And it's just, I don't get it. Yeah. The next couple we talked about are uh, aprons and gloves and stuff. I, I don't know. I don't, aprons. Yes. The change, it was interesting today. Uh, our library museum had a little display at our Lodge Leash Retreat and they had this, uh, framed apron from the 1930s 
It was beautifully ordained or hand. It was all hand painted and hand done and had fringe around the side. Magically, it had rounded corners. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you know what? It's pretty hard to debate those guys. We've had a resolution at our Grand Lodge for the last, I don't know, several years, five, six years or more, seven years. Uh, a lodge, at least one, has been trying to get a resolution passed to, to remove the requirement for square corners. And it's interesting. It's hard to argue against that when you see this <laughs> apron with rounded corners in the past. Right. Or you see a picture of George Washington, the Lansdowne portrait, and he's got a rounded apron. Right. It's hard to debate those. But the idea of aprons, I mean, we have that in our ritual, but is an apron, uh, is that a custom or how you, maybe how you wear your apron? I know it's in the standard work, but is it kind of customary? We, without going into much detail, we wear our aprons in a certain manner and a certain degree that is different from the whole, all the other country, all the other part of the country. And our ritual says, uh, it says, uh, but this custom has been uh, become obsolete and you'll wear yours differently. Oh. <laughs> What? <laughs> <laughs> why don't we just, why don't we do, the only reason I can see, I, I was here again, I'll go back to the short talk bulletins. I was reading about symbols and science and things. And the only thing I'll allow in my mind to make that justified is that uh, they changed standard work. They changed the way they do things, their aprons or other things. So that when Masonry was becoming prolific throughout the country and throughout the world. You had, there was a lot of fake, false masonry out there. And so jurisdictions would change up something. So if a guy came into the area and he said, well, yeah, this is the way I wear my apron, or this is the way I, I say things or do things, they could say, well, we know you're not a Washington Mason because this is the way we do it in Washington. Right. To make it unique enough that we knew it was, we could, we could try and prove the guy. I don't know. Do you all wear gloves in all the set? Do you wear gloves at all? Yes. Well, yeah. When I was master of Headley Lodge, I introduced the wearing of gloves for all the officers and during the opening and closing of the lodge. How about you, so, Steve? Yeah, we we use them. Well, <clears throat> if the worshipful master is wearing gloves, you're wearing gloves. So. If he forgets to take them off after we're open, then, you know, you're stuck wearing the gloves throughout the whole way. Unless you, you know, can get his attention and give him certain gestures, you know, to get him to take the damn things off. Yeah. Because otherwise you got to wait until <laughs> worship you, a master takes them off. You usually notice that you've got your gloves on when you go to sign the minutes. Yeah. Or you're trying to flip the turn a page on yeah. something your agenda or something you got something you're trying to work with. Thank God, how long are your meetings? That you have more than one page of agenda. <laughs> well, whatever. Like as a master, I had a podium book and it kind of helped me to you know make sure balloting balloting procedures were in there. Different things were in the book, and so if I was trying to flip my page with with my. Oh no, on. we we got to know that stuff by memory. Up yeah, here. What, are, what are you talking about? A book on your podium? <laughs> you, so you have all the balloting procedures memorized? Yes. Oh yeah. Oh, we don't have to memorize that part. Oh, everything. We have to memorize opening, closing, and all that. I mean, everything else, but balloting procedures does not have to be memorized. Interesting. Oh, yeah. No, that. But you do that... it often enough, you memorize it. Well, right. we hadn't, but <laughs> <laughs> we are doing much more balloting now. It's nice. So in our area, our custom has been 
that we wear a we wear gloves when we're doing degrees, and especially anybody that's going to interact with a candidate. So if you're going to touch the candidate or hold the candidate or do anything with the candidate, the other guys in the lodge don't necessarily have to have visitors or guests or anybody in the sidelines don't have to wear gloves, but the anybody working in the degree should have gloves on. And then when I was master, like like Jared said, I requested the all the officers during opening and closing wear gloves. And that's kind of a cool thing. I think it looks sharp during yeah. the opening and closing. Yeah. As long, but I don't think that we should have to continue to wear them if our worshipful master does. Yeah. Right? That's, a, that's a good sign. That's a good I think sign. What, I think once we're open, we should be able to just take them off. But that's a sign of respect. Yeah. I mean, I you know. never you never dress less than the most important person. It's the same reason why when at a meal with someone of like the prime minister or the president is if they stand, you stand. If yeah. You don't stand yeah. before the, you don't leave before they leave. Yeah. It's just it's a sign of respect. But I agree. It's but it, it's quite easy to kind of get their attention and kind of go. Yeah. <laughs> So there's a few more things on the list here, and you all can look, go to the article and read them and debate them. But I really want to get to our own little unique inter- – we got a few minutes left here. Uh, Steve, do you want to go first? What You have a unique custom in your lodge other than kind of what was outlined here that you do, customer ancient usage? Um, the, the one that uh, – we wear the top hat in our lodge. Right? It's customary that our worshipful master – Where's the top hat? Uh-huh. So right. he, he can't choose a bowler or some other thing. It's always a top hat. No, it's a top hat. Right. Is, is, is he issued one or given one or does he have to go find one? We have three different sizes in our, um, in our lock, in our room. <laughs> but if he wants to, he can get his own. And, and quite often a worshipful master will go order his own top hat just because it's a, a personal Device, I need to get you know. I need to get that website because I want to order. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so hard to find. It's actually hard to find a good top hat these days. Yes, you, it can, is. you can find those costume ones and that kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. to really get a a good, I would and a collapsible one at that. I really want a collapsible oh, top hat. No, collapsible one that you go to a magic store for. No, I don't want the little silky one. You know, little yeah, black magic I, store. Yeah, I don't think it'll look. I, I should. I should go look and see. Maybe they have a nice looking one. But what I, the most of them that I've seen in like those kind of places, hat stores, you know, like they have the raccoon hat and that kind of stuff. Those are all those. Uh, uh, yeah, they're they look. They don't look very nice. Right. Jared, how about you? I've already talked about ours. The one I was going to talk about was voting with the left hand. Oh, the yeah. Okay. And the wearing of the gloves. Okay. The one we we. That I brought up was put on my notes was that how do you when you close lodge and the deacons arrange the square encompasses or what do they do with the square encompasses after they close the great lights? Nothing. The deacons don't close the great lights. Oh my! It's usually true. It's tra- <laughs> at least it's tradition in our district that the dis well because the district deputy grandmaster attends all meetings in, in his meeting. district. In our district, Woo. I know it, cray cray. So, and it's tradition that if the district deputy is at your meeting, he closes the lodge that way. He, he's the one that arrange that closes the volume of the sacred lawn. Oh, so, and does that? Yeah, and, and, and with these two, yeah. no, in our lodge, our 
uh, our senior warden closes the volume of sacred law. Oh, he comes down from the West. Yep. Yep. But the, unless the DDGM is present, but in our district, we don't make our DDGMs work that hard. And <laughs> because we have eight lodges in our district, they only have five down there. Right. So easy enough for their DDGM to get around to, to those five. Not when they're a hundred miles apart. Right? Well, but <laughs> no. they're not they're no, down almost, there. You know, they're, all they're lodges in our hour. district are within 45 minutes of Penticton. Yeah. 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 Right. So, um, we're set up where maximum two hours apart from end to end in districts. Right. So if you were to go from our bridge oh, to the Soyuz, um, which is the far end of the district down there, that would be a two hour trip. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I had been curious how we do, you know, I think I, when I was senior deacon the first time, I don't remember even now how I arranged them on the top of the Bible. I don't, I don't, I think I picked something and just did it that way. And then I didn't really care. I didn't pay attention to it. And now that I'm going back through the line, I thought, oh, I wonder how or why we do things. And so we have a past master. He's been there 20, he was a DMLA and he's been in, you know, in our lodge for a long time. We were practicing the other night for a degree and he closed the Bible and he placed him in a certain manner. And we all kind of, and so I, we were all kind of standing around. I said, Nick, can you tell me why you put the square encompasses in that position? And he kind of looked at me. We have just a little bit of an antagonistic relationship. So I didn't, I wasn't, I was really trying to be open and on. I wanted to understand and ask his opinion. And he goes, I don't know. And so we all kind of looked at each other like, we don't know. And we said, I said, Hey, we're all, you know, all the officers, kind of all the senior members and the core guys in the lodge or whatever, and lots of past masters and stuff. And I said, why don't we as a lodge tonight decide how we want them to look, how we want them to be placed? And everybody kind of, okay, okay. And so Nick went to the altar. I said, how do you want to do that? And he kind of arranged them in a certain fashion. And we all kind of went, yeah, we kind of like that. We like that. We all said, okay, so this is going to be the way we're going to do it. I said, okay. I said, why are we arranging them that way? And so we came up with a, a little story about why we were going to arrange them that way. And then we all kind of agreed. Yeah. And then Nick stepped back and goes, but, and then he went and changed it. And we all went, oh, and I, and I, I felt like here's that antagonism. No, 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 just calm down. Let him have his moment and talk about what, why he's doing that. And so in our lodge, the square is going to be in the left-hand corner, bottom left-hand corner of the Bible. And the, compasses will be closed of course and if they're if we're opening or closing in the first degree it'll be immediately above the square in the left hand corner of the bible if we're in the second degree it's going to be in the upper right hand corner of the bible and the third degree in the bottom right hand corner of the bible kind of a neat little innovation a neat little custom that we've developed i think and so you can when you walk into lodge you can look at the bible and see oh we're opening on the second degree or the third degree or the first degree kind of fun Jared is smiling. <laughs> a, a useless I'm, custom. Well, I'm, I'm trying to decide how much I can how much I can say without saying anything. Without saying too much, because <laughs> the whole point is to disarrange the symbols. Yeah, yeah. Right. But you've just arranged your symbols. Yeah. Well, to disarrange <laughs> dis disarrange them in so that they're not evident of the of what the degree. The, the meaning you, of it i know but okay i mean i 
from a purist point of view, you're making an innovation to the ritual. Yes. No, we're closed. It's closed. It's still part, but closing the closing the volume of the sacred law is still part of the ritual and the way you do it. It's a custom. So, so what's you know, oh. there's some some lodges that put them off to the side. Some lodges that you know they arrange. Everybody arranges them somehow, whether it's forethought or out of mishap, they arrange them. Ours gets tucked inside the cover. You you know, those, that's arranged. No, they just get literally just thrown in the cover and the book closed. Well, yeah, that's not arranging them. That's they're, disarranging. They're disarranging them. the emblems. Yeah. <laughs> so we will leave that for you all to decide and discuss. Maybe in your lodge, it'd be a great topic for discussion for education in your lodge. Bring them up. Say, hey, why do we do this? Is that arrangement? Is it not arrangement? We'll leave you with that. What do you say, guys? All right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, attending. Thank you to Jared for tonight. And Stephen, we're missing Matt the last couple of shows, and uh, we'll have him on hopefully the next show. On behalf of the Working Jewels podcast, have a great night and a great week.